This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 84 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host Mike Parkin and joining me as usual is Richard Hawes. Hello everybody. And this week it's Dolls Week. Um, We're going to be looking at um, a couple of films about horror movies with dolls. One's called Mandy the Haunted Doll and the other is called Clown Doll. Um, Also our short this week is Doll It Up, the film that we hope to have... um, Included in our previous episode, uh, but we couldn't find the link to all of a sudden. Um, so that's going to be our short, and we have the usual sections, our coming soon, the washing up, and at the moment, it's over to Rich with the DTV chart. Yes, here we go, DTV chart. This was published on the 9th of June. Uh, you're probably listening to this a couple of weeks later, so if you want to see what the current chart is, please head over to our Twitter account, uh, DTV Digest, to see the very latest uh, top five uh, and lots of other uh, interesting stuff about what's coming out on DTV. Anyway, so uh, number 12, this is one we missed out on. Number, uh, sorry, did you say number 12? Yes, we've got 12 wow. in the chart this week. Jesus, okay. For, uh, for the uninitiated, this is uh, derived from the top 100 videos. Uh, so this week there are 12 films that we have identified as DTV releases out of that top 100. Uh, and number 12, it's called The Sanctuary, which is uh, it's a German film. Uh, originally, uh, can you pronounce the title for me there, Mike? I'm not sure. It's, uh, it is, uh, I think, Heilstatten. Oh, yes. Heilstatten. Yeah, Heilstatten, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this. I haven't, I haven't had a chance yet. The uh, I, I noticed a minute ago when I was just having a look at the uh, trailer that it's being released in the USA as Haunted Hospital. God. I thought it was just the UK that got the shitty titles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, but no, the the thing about this, uh, as just as a side note, the trailer, which is pretty good, I like the look of it actually. Hmm. The it's uh, it, the concept reminded me of that film Chernobyl Diaries a, a few years ago. So, right. uh, and it, it's all like Blair Witchy, isn't it? You know, a bunch of hmm. kids with cameras go into a place and scary stuff happens. So the um, the trailer for Haunted Hospital is. It's subtitled. It's got all the German subtitles, but they've taken off the they've taken off the dialogue. So if you watch the original trailer, they're all speaking in German and it's subtitled. And then if you watch, and the same with the 101 Films trailer for the UK release. But if you watch the American one, you can read what they're saying, but you can't hear it. You can just hear music. That's great. <laughs> so, they, so they've mixed. They they've uh, messed up the sound mix or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this looks quite fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, it looks a lot better than I had actually expected that it would. Yeah. Uh, number 11 uh, is Bundy and the Green River Killer. Is this... Um, Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones' film, yeah. It was in the chart last week, wasn't it? This yes. One? Yeah, it's been around for a few weeks now. It's doing quite well for itself. Yeah, not bad. Uh, the, I, I, again, I just took a look at the trailer for this one and... Uh, yeah, the production values look quite decent. I'm quite in, interested in the story, so I would definitely be uh, interested to sort of check this out. I'm quite behind on Andrew Jones stuff. Uh, we'll mention him again a bit later, but uh, you know, very prolific filmmaker, uh, doing re- really uh, tremendously well down in Wales. Uh, at number ten, uh, another film that's been hanging around for quite some time is Replicas. 
Yep, good old Keanu Reeves playing an evil, not exactly an evil scientist, but certainly an insane scientist. Yeah, a, a misguided uh, yeah. sort of variation on the, interesting variation on the mad scientist scenario. We reviewed it uh, a few episodes back, so if you haven't heard that, go back and uh, we've got some uh, interesting observations, let's say that. Yeah. Uh, number nine, a film that I'm pretty sure Dave, at our, uh, our, fr- our friend Dave at his shop Snips Video, still hasn't been able to find a renter for. Uh-huh. It's Burning Rubber with John Travolta. Ah, uh, yeah. Also known as Trading Paint. It is indeed. Uh, the, do you have you heard anything about this one? This one? I that anyone's actually, no. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if another one is is going to come up in your chart, but. Um, uh, the, the Poison Rose, I'm hoping to get a chance to see that this week. Ah, yeah, this was one we I almost put into the uh, uh, coming soon section oh. for this week, but I, I actually forgot. Uh, it's coming out over here as Eye for an Eye. Oh, right, interesting. So the, the, the title being a bit more uh, a bit more uh, mainstream friendly, let's say. You know, Poison yeah. Rose is kind of a bit oblique. You're not really so, sure so what it's going to be. sounds like a wrong... Not exactly a rom-com, but a romantic drama or something. Or a you know dark, th- you know dark thriller, romantic thriller, or something like that. But this time they're sort of saying, right, it's a revenge film. It's revenge. <laughs> so who knows what it'll turn out to be like? But it'll be, it'll be quite interesting. Uh, at number eight, we've got a, a film that looks a bit like a uh, uh, battle reenactment group kind of video. It's Jesse James, The Unstoppable Outlaw. Yeah, I, did, I mean, I, I, I checked the trailer for this, and it looks. I've said on many occasions, if you're going to do a western, you have to have a certain quality of film, um, you know. And and this looks like it's been shot on a video camera, unfortunately, and it just doesn't sort of work, you know. Um, there's another western coming out. So actually, well, we're going to be talking about it in the in the coming soon. But yeah, there's another western coming out soon, which gets the look right as far as I'm mm. concerned. But I don't, I don't think this quite manages it. At number seven is a film we reviewed uh, uh, in our last episode. It's uh, The Haunting of Bawley Rectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the director of this actually got in contact with us and pointed out that the budget for this was only £15,000. So, so wow. I, think, I think he did a hell of a lot. You know, despite its faults and everything, I, I think to actually manage to, to make a feature, um, I, I think they did a very good job. And this has been hanging around now for, this is its 15th week, and I expect to, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably been hanging around for like another week or two. Uh, so it's doing really well. So on that, on 15,000, that's probably a pretty decent return for uh, high flyers who have uh, put this out. And hopefully the, the filmmakers, obviously, would get their, would get a cut of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so if you want to hear more about that film, uh, go back to our previous episode, number 83. Number six, where uh, we've got a vigilante. I'm quite surprised this one didn't break the top five. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll be talking about this in our washing up section later on. Oh, okay. Um, I will move on then to number five, Annihilation for re-entry uh, into the top five. Yeah, we talked about this a short while ago. This um, is one of the sort of big Netflix tentpole movies that they acquired. Um, based, is it directed by Alex Garland? Or is it yes, based on script, I believe so, yes. Based on his script as well. Uh, Natalie Portman stars um, taking a group of women soldiers into this um, area which has been sort of infected with alien organisms. It's, it's very weird. At uh, number four... We have The Vanishing, which has been around for 
uh, I think that's, this is like five or six weeks now. Yeah. And, well, Jared, Jared Butler, you know, he, he can still sort of pull, pull people in. And I, I like the look of this. I've, I've actually got this to watch. I haven't had a chance to sit down to this one yet. But, um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's more or less a three-hander, it, it, you know, Treasures of um, Sierra Madre kind of situation where they come into, you know, they get hold of some loot which doesn't belong to them, and then sort of the people who it does belong to come looking for them with um, with guns. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, number three, uh, a former number one. It's been it's also been out for five weeks. It's the Guard of Auschwitz. Yeah. I took a try. I took a look at the trailer for this uh, sh- a short while ago as well. I actually think this looks really quite decent. Uh, the, right. the the budget looks higher than I would have expected. Uh, I'm. I'm I'm not going to rush to see it. I'll probably wait till it turns up on Amazon Prime. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're definitely curious to look at this British film. But the they seem to have been able to invest enough budget in costumes and and you know set design. So not to, not we're not talking uber bold sort of level quality here. Yeah. So 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 it's not it's not overly crass and, and exploitative, and, and it's not as low as um, some of sort of Andrew Jones productions. Yeah, it looks. Quite sensitively handled as well from from the trailer. So uh, yeah, I think it looks a, a cut above some of the other films we've seen that have been a bit more exploitative. Let's say. Sure. Even so, um, is it? Is it? No, it's, it's the it's the next one, the Angel of Outsiders that, that he's he's done. That's coming yeah. up. Where, yeah, so that's the same direction. Have, yeah, where they have slapped a big sort of Nazi guy on the cover and. Well, the, you know, poster design and whatever, kind of consider that sort of separate to the to the film itself. Sure, the yeah. the the Guard of Auschwitz got. I mean, I'm I'm quite surprised it's been selling as well because the cover actually I don't think is that good. I think, I think no. the, and it isn't the Angel of Auschwitz got yeah. none. It, it, it's it's quite low key for for this sort of thing. Whereas the, I think the Angel of Auschwitz one they've gone the other way and sort of um, yeah. Sort of get, get a Gestapo guy on the cover. And <laughs> That's what you have to do. That's right. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Well, right. We've said it time and time again. I mean, you know, so West, westerns and films about Second World War, you know, always seem to sort of pick up um, on the VTV sort of market. Well, we're getting back to westerns now because at number two, it's Vincent D'Onofrio's directorial debut, The Kid. Yeah. Again, I haven't had a chance to watch this. I've heard really good things about it. I love the trailer. It's it's got a real, you know, proper sort of good scope to it. Um, yeah, about Billy the Kid and sort of crossing paths with this um, young boy who's um, he and his mother are on the run from their abusive father who happens to be played by Chris Pratt um, and, and in the mix is uh, Ethan Hawke playing um, a sheriff or marshal it, it, it looks really good I have to say so I, uh, yeah, I, I, from the cover, I was kind of guessing that Ethan Hawke was going to be like the main character. So he's not, he's not um, Billy the Kid in this. He's no, a, he's like say, a sheriff. Okay. okay, so what's number one? Well, it's a brand new entry. It's Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yay! Um, this actually looks really cool. The trailer, I don't, seen the trailer I, now. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if the movie is going to have the same kind of music, but I love the synth synth music on the on the trailer it gives it a real uh, unique feel yes it does and you know this this could have gone the way of sort of scooby-doo meets batman which which i think they've done a couple of times throughout the years um but no you know they, they're playing to both both, uh, both pro- products strengths you know and going into their back catalog and using 
sort of various villains um, from both. So so it's it's quite organic, I think. You know, it doesn't feel like we need we need to sort of put these toys with these toys and and see what happens. Got a decent story going for it. And that's the DTV chart for this week. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got. Let me just go. Lots of trailers. <laughs> I can't count them. Um, last week we only had four, but this week we've, we've picked out quite a few. Um, and we're going to kick off with the Banana Splits movie. What the hell? Well, this um, came out of left field, didn't it? Just a little bit. Um, in, in more senses than one, because one, you weren't expecting a Banana Splits movie, and two, you weren't expecting this Banana Splits movie. I wasn't expecting a horror movie, that's for sure. This is just so bizarre. Um, see, I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the Banana Splits. Um, well, I, I used to watch the reruns, so I'm, I'm as, probably as familiar with it as you are. I mean, it's from the late 60s, isn't it? Late 60s. Yeah, so it probably was the reruns I was watching as well, but... Um, you know, what I remember, obviously, is the cartoons, you know, the Three Musketeers, the... Um, the Jan Michael Vincent um, Danger Zone or Danger Bay or something. I remember that bit, but I remember the, there's the Three Musketeers and there was one about Aladdin or Alibaba and he had a horse, no, he had a donkey and if he pulled his tail it sort of spun around really fast kicking people. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it was a variety hour kind of yeah, program, which lots was of sort of you know insane slapstick and you know lots of little vignettes of them sort of turning up to theme parks and going on really you know uh, roller coasters wearing their costumes and things like that. And everybody remembers the the, the classic theme, theme song, yeah. yeah. And so this is the so we're not going to get any of the segments in this. This is purely based on the characters from yeah. the, the main Banana Splits characters and about a boy and it's his birthday. And they're going to go to a to a filming of, of one of the episodes, and lots of crazy stuff's going to happen. And then it all turns a bit. Um, do you remember that t- uh, reality TV sort of horror movie called Slashers? I don't remember that one. Yeah, well, this this kind of thing's been done. Yeah, this kind of thing's been done quite a lot. Basically, you know, horrific things start happening in the TV studio. Uh, the rumours are that this was adapted from, or based on, or or in some way related to the Five Nights at Freddy's video game, which I'm not oh, really... Oh, right, yeah. My, my son is um, very familiar with it. He, he's, n- he's never played the game, but he knows all about it. You know? um, Rumours yeah. are that they couldn't get the rights to Five Nights, hmm. so they recycled the script using Banana Splits characters, which obviously which were cheap to obtain. Um, I, I don't know if that's just pure rumours or whatever, but that, that's a, there's a lot of people saying about the similarities between yeah. the video game and what's happening in the movie. Uh, think, yeah, curiosity factor is really high on this one. Um, I, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for it. And what have we got next, Mike? Next is, um, I think, what we have next is an inevitability. I think is what we have. Uh, Avengers of Justice, Fast Wars. Because what um, we needed was a superhero spoof combined with Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Badly. Badly. Um, with Shawn Michaels, the wrestler, as a cross between the Hulk and Yoda, it seems. This. If, yeah. that, if, that, if that makes you laugh, and uh, the idea of a Wolverine oh, knockoff who's actually a... A rat Beaverine. or something. Beaver. Beaverine. Yeah. Okay, that think... made me smile. And also, 
yeah, the bit about the Yoda yoga when it when it turned out he was actually called Chew, was it Chewbacca yoga or something like that, and he's like a cross between Yoda and Chewbacca. That uh-huh. actually made me laugh. Yeah. It did. Um, <laughs> and the beaverine thing was actually done quite well, I have to admit. Um, it doesn't I, look good, though, does it? It doesn't. It looks terrible. I mean, you know, the, the budget is like $10. Um, and, you know, it makes the me... acting is pretty bad. But it, it seems, for all that, I reckon there's one or two laughs in this. Just make it just. I just get an Aaron Freeberg, Jason, or Freeberg and Seltzer. You know the date movie. Yeah. Um, you know and all that kind of stuff. They, yeah, there was that sort of level. Yeah. There was superhero movie kind of covered all this way back. You know, and I actually it wasn't a good movie, but I had some fun with it, especially in the end credits. There's there's some really I thought there were some really funny moments in in that. But and Leslie Nielsen was in it, which is always good. But. You know, I just think there's so much, there's so many of these superhero parodies yeah. that where, how is this going to find its place? You know, it's uh, especially when Marvel is so, is so um, willing to send itself up anyway. Well, exactly. When you've got things like the viral Thor videos, you know, yeah. just you know poking fun and just go, you know, they they run the gamut. They're really serious and they go full on parody of their own properties, yeah. which is you know quite bold of them and. Uh, this is trying to make a, a joke about something that already doesn't take itself enormously exactly. seriously anyway. But, you know, we've seen this time and again with comedies. You know, people, I'm sure it'll do well it, because people are going to pick it up and go, oh, it's Avengers of Justice League. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people are going to pick this up in the supermarket. Whether or not they, they thank us or not is another matter. We're going to shift gears to now to something a lot more dark. A lot more dark, a lot more party. Um, This is the Headhunter. Um, It's a very striking-looking Viking movie set in in Viking times. It's about a guy who um, is kind of like a bounty hunter, but he's he's searching for this monster who murdered his daughter. Um, You know, the setting looks amazing. You know, um, I think it was shot in Canada or somewhere like that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, this sort of the, the uh, external visuals look great. The, the costumes look great. I, I'm really excited to see this. I get a, I get a predator vibe from yeah, it. Definitely. definitely uh, what's message. What's quite interesting is that they don't really show the creature hmm. much, but you know, you, they don't even actually say it is a creature, but you kind of get that strong impression that he's tracking something otherworldly. Yeah, there's some. When, when there's a, a, a quick shot of some of the heads that he's collected there in his, his sort of house, yeah, and, and you can tell that they are sort of like muta- mutations or you know some some other sort of otherworldly creatures. Some of them, so yeah, it is set in a sort of fantasy sort of world. I think there were two things it reminded me of. One was Beowulf, mm-hmm. uh, and the other was Predator Dark Ages. Yep, definitely. Um, yeah. I was really surprised to see this as an actual American film. I was expecting to see, you know, some Scandinavian influence, but but no, it's straight straight up American. It's from the maker of the Thanks Killing movies, of, yeah. no less. Yeah. yeah. So he's and he did the Chris's Bounty Hunter. Yes, that's right. Short film. Yeah. So so yeah, that, I mean that that made me. That was a good film. And listen, but, uh, you know, sit up and pay attention a little bit when I, when I saw that in his credits. 
Um, moving on, um, I mentioned earlier that there was a Western coming up that I was very interested in seeing, and that is called The Outsider. Now, this stars John Fu, who some of you may know from um, the TV series Rush Hour, the TV version, which wasn't a particularly good series, and, and unfortunately John was sort of given short shrift, I think. By Has his... that been cancelled now, then? Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh-huh. Yeah, because yeah, um, I always remember him from Tekken. All right. Yeah, I remember Tekken, but... Tekken, him and Gary Daniels, and yeah. directed well, the, by Dwight Little. I'll tell you the film that really made me sort of perk up about him, and that was a film called My Kingdom from 2013, where he was paired up with Craig Fairbrass. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, it, the, the main character was um, Dominic Purcell from um, Jailbreak. But, yeah. um Within the cast, there was Craig Fairbrass and John Poo. Um, and, and they end up being this sort of buddy act. Um, and, and it's really cool. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really decent film. Um, really enjoyed it. That's so, a very that's a very cheesy title, though. Oh, it is. My Kingdom. Yeah, it is. But but I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty decent. Um, yeah, Craig, um, Dominic, Dominic Purcell's wearing a horrible wig in that film. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, normally he's bald, you know, he's a sh- shaven head in most of his roles, but this one, though. But, uh, that, yeah, that so, film so, also had Conan Stevens and Ron Smurenberg in it, and uh, Natasha Malt, Malta. Yep, uh, it had so a really good cast, cast. Um, you know, and it's one of those films that was, you know, it was shot on, like, um, a green screen backdrop for a lot of it to sort of try and give it a bit more sort of epic scope, you know, in its, in its scenes. But I, I really liked it. I like, I like the characters, um, as I said, especially um, sort of John Fu and Craig Fairbrass in it. Funnily um, enough, so a bit of a, a bit of an aside here. Yeah. The director of that film uh, did a super. Actually, it was, it was a superhero trilogy called Sysak Man. I think oh, he's yeah. from. I think he's Malaysian or, or something. Because yeah. uh, I remember getting that film on on a DVD without any subtitles or whatever. Being quite good. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so he's a Malaysian filmmaker. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that was actually that wasn't a Malaysian film. It's, it's oh, was it? Credited as being in a Malaysian oh, film. Okay. Anyway. Oh, so I'm interested in that. But tell me a bit more about, about the outsider. The outsider. Yeah, I suppose we try to talk about. Um, yes. Yeah, so from the looks of it, from the looks of the trailer, uh, John Fu's character is trying to avenge the murder of his wife or, or mother. Not sure which. A uh, bunch of sort of grizzled cowboys on the run. Um, as, as I was sort of saying, this, this has the right sort of look to a western, you know, um, the just sort of the way the lighting works. It, it's just um, it, it's just right for a western, I think. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm really interested to see this. Uh, you know, a bit of martial arts in a western looks looks really good. So can I, in the trailer, which is narrated, I believe, by the sheriff played by Trace Atkins, I believe, who does a lot of these westerns. It's kind of like he's talking about. John Fu's character as the villain. Yeah, almost. But 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 he himself is perhaps the villain of the story. Yeah. So I, that was an interesting sort of dynamic that I was getting from it. Uh, who else have we got in there? We've got Danny Trejo and yeah. Sean Patrick Flannery as well. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just looks really solid. Looking forward to catching up on that one. Uh, next up is Daughter of the Wolf, um, starring Gina Carano. Who's a well-known MMA superstar? Has been in loads of films now, including um, Fast and Furious Six, I believe. Yeah, Fast and, and Furious Six. And um, she's going up against Richard Dreyfus. I know. Yeah, Richard Dreyfus. Um, 
There's another film we saw recently. I saw recently. What, with Richard Dreyfuss in it? Yeah, he, he had a small part in it and he was a bad guy. Oh, uh, yes. I, I, I think we've... I think we might have both watched that one. Let me have a quick look. Have have a look he's got loads of stuff. Yeah. You know, he's, he's he's doing a lot, but he's turning up in. He's not quite well, as as is evidence in this film. You know, he he's mm. he's he's older. He's not getting the roles he once did. So, you know, I think he was in Red was probably ah, one of the last big films Polar. he did. The, the Mads Mikkelsen. Polar. There we go. Yes. Yeah, he, he had a, he had a small scene in that. Um, where he sort of portrays Mads Mikkelsen's character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, he's still a, a really solid actor, obviously. Um, play, playing the um, the antagonist in this one, who kidnaps Gina Carano's um, son, daughter. I've gone already. It's another um, one of those internal action movies, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, if 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 this had come out in the in time with Maria and uh, Fury, that would have been a great trilogy. <laughs> it's sort of triple. Movie. I'm not overly struck with this one, though. To be honest, it's it's kind of not got enough oomph to it. I've I've heard on the grapevine that it it does plod a little bit. Um, I, I've got a feeling it sort of starts off really good, then slows down, and then sort of ramps up again. Um, it's just come out in the states, from what I understand on on mm-hmm. TV. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to give it a look. That's for sure. What's next? Next up, we have, uh, well, we're leading into our Dolls uh, movies, so what better to, to do than to talk about a few of the other Doll movies that are coming up, because mm. there are shed loads. <laughs> we are so, we're so inundated since Annabelle and, and that, and obviously we've got Child's Play remake and that coming out. So um, Doll movies are just incredibly popular uh, for filmmakers, yeah. uh, and these three trailers, I think, provide quite an overview of the variety of, of stories that get told with these characters. So let's start with dolls. So I, one of these trailers I overlooked. Um, so I'm not sure which one it was. So but dolls is the one with Dee Wallace in it. I think this is the one I overlooked. Okay. So, so, so you, you talk about this one, and I'll chime in if I remember if, I, if I've looked at it. Out of the three that we're going to talk about, this is probably the one that I think looks most generic. It's very much a, a bunch of people. They go to that, go to the house. There's dolls in the house. They get a warning and then the doll starts to it. So typical scenario that we've come across. We, we will come across it again, I think. But the, like, remember when we watched Curse of Chucky hmm. and Chucky was back and he was, he was, you know, he was in the, he was sent to the house and he was, in, yeah. he was there and then he started stalking the people in the house. So similar kind of situation with this story. But I think the dolls, there's a little bit of a puppet master vibe because the dolls belong to the guy in the house. And I think he's like a writer or something. Oh, no, I did see the trailer for this. Yeah. So, so and he, there's, he's there's, kind of obsessed by the, or possessed by the dolls almost. He's, he's trying to sort of write this sort of children's book or something about them. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. It's it's you see that element of it I quite liked and and this sort of the, you know the nursery rhyme thing that yes I, I like the nursery rhyme I, a lot I, I thought that worked really well especially in the trailer it, yes it works yeah, well with the trailer exactly it ramps up as it, as it mm. sort of goes along yeah I liked it uh, and I think the dolls have a quite again this is one of the things you know the doll designs in each of these kind of movies vary considerably 
And these are very much traditional kind of dolls, although they, there's a couple of really big ones. Um, I think some of them have quite nice, interesting designs. Hmm. You know, they're, they're yeah, not, yeah. uh, as we'll probably get onto later, some other dolls that we encounter just perhaps don't look as doll-like as, ah. as, as they should. Um, so yeah, next one up is the, the next film to be released by, uh, Stephen M. Smith, who did the, uh, the, uh, House of the, sorry, the Hauntic of Borley Rectory. And this has a human sized doll in a kind of a wicker man kind of situation. Yeah. So, so this hits something I, I'm really interested in. But there's also, um, there's another film coming out by the guy who did Hereditary. Um, Midsummer. Midsummer. But mm. that looks really interesting as well. That I'm looks not... really, that looks really wicker man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in these sort of films where, um, people have to do, Evil acts for the greater good. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like, um, oh, we've got, we've got to sort of protect the harvest. You know, otherwise our, our whole community will die. So we have to sacrifice somebody. You know, that sort of thing. Um, there was another film called The Rites of Spring, which had a similar idea, uh, which was sort of a bit more sort of towards, um, uh, what's that? Uh, From Dust Till Dawn. You know, where it starts off as a sort of bank heist movie and then sort of merges with the horror movie. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically about this farmer who's got this demon living on the farm in a pit, and it's sort of every spring he has to sort of, you know, sacrifice someone to it. A bit so, like Pumpkinhead. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so, so I, I love that sort of concept, and this seems to sort of feed into that where there's, you know, this, this sort of creepy community. Um, involved. Um, I'm not sure to what capacity at the moment, but um, it is definitely, you know, despite the fact it's a fucking Dongle Doll movie, it has got me intrigued. I, I would like to see this. I think, and also the the film looks, although low budget, it looks quite action packed. The there's a, there seems to be a lot that's going to happen in this film, and the the trailer is very nicely, it's very fast paced, so it yes. gets you interested in what what what's going to happen even. You know, the doll's quite a curious um, sort and of a t- person in a mask. It looks, yeah, look. it looks like it's just a guy in a mask, doesn't it? Mm. You know, um, and I'm not sure if that's intentional. I think there might be some... Because there seems to become kind of a cult around the... I think his name's Alfred, the doll. And uh, so in, in some of the scenes, we see a, what appears to be like a full-grown person uh, standing with, a, you know, wearing a mask. And I think that's possibly one maybe one of the followers or whatever time will tell but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 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 very open to this one absolutely okay let's round off the uh, coming soons with uh, one of um, andrew jones films it is robert reborn now this is the fifth film in the robert franchise uh, mm. and can you believe this film this franchise has only been going since 2015 he's so made the, he's made one a year four years He's, he's put out five films, or just about. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I have to admit, I like the concept of this film. I really do. So I'm not very familiar with the whole Robert uh, the Doll thing. I, I seem to recall one set in the Second World War. I think so. so. I, I haven't seen any myself to be honest. But I think you're right. I think it's this is not the first time that they've uh, had a period. Yeah. So, so this, this one's kind of set. This one's set against the Cold War, isn't it? Yeah. So I think it's sort of 1950s or 1960s. Yeah. Um, it involves a Rus- a young Russian spy who happens to have seen 
um, this theatre production by the the puppet master um, who owns Robert and all the rest of the dolls, and goes back to her her bosses and says, you know what, I've seen this guy. He's you know he did this thing with the puppets and they all looked like they were moving on their own. Um, it looked looked really good. I think we can do something with him. So they they basically adopt <laughs> him and his dolls. It's um, the Russian way. It is the Russian way, and unfortunately, that is probably their downfall. So, so I think the the bulk of the film is set on this aeroplane. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Dolls on a plane. Dolls on the plane. <laughs> exactly. So this, this is very much uh, so. Andrew Jones has, I think, very clearly tried to craft this as his puppet master franchise. Yeah. Uh, and he's done it, you know, so quick and so. Puppet Master in the third film, they went back to the Second World War. Mm. Uh, and so I think, although they might have done this before, that's what this reminds me of. It makes me think of Puppet Master 3. We've got Rob, but we've, we've got Robert, but yeah. we've also got an ensemble of other puppets as well. Yeah. And like you say, they, they sort of, um, they got this, uh, I don't know if it's a massacre on the, on the plane or how they're going to pace it or whether that's just one small section of it, but it does definitely gives it an interesting dimension. And, and, Rather than being in another haunted house, you know. Exactly, and and you know having Russians as this sort of antagonist, just you know gives it a bit more sort of meta energy, I think. And what's going on with that? I'm guessing it's the puppet master character with his mm. white hair. Mm. You know, he's like, he's like, his head looks huge in that, it you does, know, that yeah. that wig and prosthetics. He looks, like <laughs> looks like a doll himself. Yeah. <laughs> so out of those three. Which which do you, which are you most interested in? Would you say I'm most interested in Doll Cemetery? I have to say, mm. um, I, 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 as I said, I love that sort of concept. So, um, this sort of sinister community um, coming together to do evil um, or, or whatever it is they're up to. Really, really like the um, the idea of that. So yeah, that that'd be my top one. Um, but uh, also interested in a couple of others. That Banana Splits movie. Um, Definitely. Oh, we're definitely good. We've definitely got to cover that. Um, <laughs> the Outsider and the Headhunter. Um, definitely checking those out. And I think, for my money, I'm I'm going to give Daughter of the Wolf a look as well. Right. Before we get on with our uh, DTV doll double feature, uh, we're going to have a look at the short shot, uh, which entirely coincidentally this week is also doll related. This is a film we've been trying to cover for a few weeks. It's called Doll It Up. Mike, tell us all about it. Okay, so uh, this is a set in a sort of very weird world where, where people have sex dolls. Um, and it's about a, um, a guy who um, has been living with his particular sex doll for the last three years. Um, their relationship seems to have sort of grown to a halt. Um, so he orders a new doll, um, but things don't quite go to plan. It's... Um, it's a very short film. Six minutes. Six minutes long. But it, it, it's just great. It really is. I, I, I just love the sort of, um, you know, the dialogue, the the way it uses the puppets. Um, it, it just works really well. It, it's, it's sort of a, an interesting sort of satire on, on sort of people's relationships. Um, I'm very interested in how the, you interpreted that it was in a sort of another a different kind of world or alternate universe kind of thing, because I just took it as a straightforward. He's a guy, very lonely guy who has a, a blow up doll as his, as his partner. 
I got and, the impression that there are other people who also had dolls. Well, I think that's I, I took that as just sort of touching on people do. You know, there's lots of these. You know, do, there's a massive industry about all, all these dolls, yeah, and but it just seems know, to be like his all his neighbours are also <laughs> in these sort of relationships. Just well, like, I think that's the they, they, random. They do it. I think it's because it's it's that comedy. It's a it's a it's a very darkly humorous uh, film. Uh, say very observative, but. I was also I was a bit unsettled by that it seemed to be be a painting a sort of a light picture of mental illness because hmm. uh, you know this is clear, to me that's how I took it that this guy's got you know severe problems and the film just sort of seemed to be reveling in his uh, in his mental illness which I, I just felt a bit uncomfortable with but I did think the film had a very it was you know shot really well really nice visual style. And the performances were good. Uh, this is the second film we've watched with actor Timothy J. Cox. Yep. And he's playing a, a very similar kind of role to what he did in To Be Alone, which was, I think he was grieving the death of his partner yes, in that right. film. Yeah. And in the, and this one, he's pretty much, uh, cheat, you know, moving on. <laughs> he's cheating on his partner, throw, literally throwing away his, uh, <laughs> former spouse, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, getting a new one, and there's some really, you know, very nice uh, moments in this. Say like six minutes long, you know, it's, inter- it's small but perfectly formed uh, yeah. kind of example of a film, and uh, well worth checking out. I don't think it's actually had a, a full release yet, but it's certainly one I think to look out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll let you know when it's um, when we can provide a link to it um, in our footnotes or in, in a future episode. <laughs> Our first review this week is Mandy the Haunted Doll, also known as... What was it again, Rich? The Doll from the Attic. The Doll from the Attic, yes. So we have um, two sisters who are um, cat burglars uh, decide to rob this old lady um, who uh, one of them, Amber, is supposed to be babysitting for. But when she actually turns up to the house, she finds out that the baby, Mandy, is in fact a doll. Um, so this sort of paves the way for them just to sort of ransack the place. But it turns out this doll can talk and do other stuff as well. Um, giggles a lot. Giggles a lot, indeed. And screams and cries and becomes really annoying. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, uh, these three erstwhile um, sort of burglars end up biting off more than they can chew. Uh, so this is the first of two doll movies we're looking at this week. Um, Both of which are from Proportion Productions, British uh, horror film producers. Now, before we, I, I should mention, um, so this film is what about eighty-five minutes long, I think. No, seventy-five. Seventy-five minutes long, so an hour and fifteen minutes. It starts off with a ten-minute prologue featuring characters who get bumped off pretty quickly. Yep. And it ends with another 10-minute prologue. Yeah, sorry, an sorry, epilogue. 10-minute epilogue, yeah. even, uh, with other characters. Um, yeah, that threw me. <laughs> so, I was like, what the hell are they doing here? Yeah, so basically... But anyway. That's about 20 minutes off the top. So, so basically, the main crux of the story lasts about 55 minutes. They didn't have enough material. <laughs> they really didn't have enough material. I mean, we're talking about three burglars running around the house being chased by a, you know, a diminutive doll with a cracked face um it's mm, it's all right overall 
Um, the characters are just so bloody annoying. And they're not given any real dialogue to sort of um, to do anything with. But it's shot okay. There is one shot at the beginning where one of the characters in the prologue gets attacked. Um, he thinks his, his girlfriend's sitting under a sheet and then hears her in the other room and then, you know, goes to take the sheet off really, really slowly, as you do in a horror film. Yeah. And suddenly, what's under the sheet springs to life and stabs him to death. Now, very clearly, Rich, what, what stabs him to death is a lot bigger than a 13-inch tall doll. <laughs> you know, it is literally a grown person sort of slashing into bits. Um, so that was silly for a start. But, yeah... But yeah, I, thought, I, thought I have to way... say, in that yeah. scene, the, the the female lead who, or the female lead in that scene, yeah. is um, she's a terrific screamer. Yes. You know, so, so uh, acting and whatever you know, other pits aside or whatever. When when the moment happens, you know, sometimes you get these death scenes and the person goes, oh, mm. you know, like oh oh I I've, I've, yeah. I broke my her. nail or something, yeah, and, yeah. and she was like. Full on. I was like, yes, that's like full on screen queen that's, kind of exactly that's what we're responses. So I actually, that was one of the things I really liked about that part of the film was that the payoff was actually quite satisfying. Indeed. But, but mm-hmm. uh, the you know you've got a bugbear on about things like in media res and yeah. drones. Yeah. My, one of my bugbears is from British films that are pandering to the to the American market with American needless American characters. Yep. So the two sisters in this, who I don't believe, uh, you know, but I may be wrong because I've been wrong. I think I was wrong last week. <laughs> I think he was. Uh, I, I said, oh, he's he's English, and it was like, no, actually, he's Australian. But um, the the lead actors in this, I don't think, are American, but the characters certainly are, yeah. or, or Canadian, or whatever. They don't actually specify. But why? You know, it's really not necessary. I'd like to see a British movie that feels British with British characters, and that's something. I'm going off on a slight tangent here, but with that, it's been really good to see with some of Scott Atkins' films. You know, he did Eliminators, which you know he was in the UK in a in a British action movie for a change. You know, he'd done a Green Street Three where he played a British character for the first time, I think. And Eliminators, he had to play an American, which was disappointing. But now he's doing Accident Man and other stuff and Avengement, where he gets to play fully British characters, and I love that. Yeah. I don't like it when when they have they feel they have to make the characters American, especially when this is such a British film. I mean, it couldn't look more British because it, you know, it's got that, uh, it's shot in a, in a really dis, you know, British looking house on a suburban street. You know, it's exactly, not, yeah. anyway, impression, that, that girl at the beginning as well, was she Australian? Might be, I'd, I'd say, I haven't looked into <laughs> their backgrounds or whatever, but you know, I, I get, I get these things wrong sometimes, but just the, the virtue of the fact that they're talking in, you know, non, you know, yeah, American sounding accents. It, it doesn't, doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't fit, especially when the, the accents waver. Hmm. And there's no reason for them to be still in the UK, you know. Well, one of them's just got out of prison or whatever, and we don't, they, they don't say, oh, I came over, you know, came over here for such and such or whatever. They just, they've just literally taken the characters, not explained any way whatsoever where they've come from, and just made them you know, given them those accents, which I think I think was a mistake. Uh, I think it's detrimental. Oh, I, agree. I, I agree. So, how deadly do you, do you think this doll actually is? Uh, ooh. well, it's got. Uh, it doesn't have 
many people to kill, but it does kill a few people. It does, uh, but I mean, once it starts killing, do you think you should have just walked out of the house? <laughs> well, the doors weren't locked or anything, were they? Oh, no. yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of got that uh, the crooks get more than they bargain for mm. kind of setup. You know, the the thing that I mean, don't breathe is probably more the best recent example. But yeah. uh, people it's under the stairs was the one I thought of. Yeah. Well, there's um, oh the collector, which is really good. With, oh. um, Josh Stewart. Yeah. And. Um, the French one, Livid or Livid, oh, just directed by the guy who, who did um, Martyrs. It's, um, uh, it's it's not it's not as extreme as Martyrs, it's, it, but it has that sort of um, baroque sort of style. Um, you know, lots of dolls and things um, sort of around the house. The other film that this reminded me of, which I haven't seen, is the the is the Boy. Yeah, so yeah, I'm curious about that one. So the, the the whole thing about that mm. opening setup, which to me didn't really fit in with the rest of the film of why this woman had why this doll had been sent to this house, a, a Curse of Chucky yeah. style, uh, uh, to kill them. It, it didn't really quite fit. It never really explained. It doesn't. It. No. I mean, I, th- I think she says something along the lines that she, well, she she was baby. She again was meant to be a babysitter or something for the house, and then just sort of stormed out. Um, you know, when she realised it was a doll. Yeah, I think the woman who's hiring these babysitters. I mean, how do you, how do you end up hiring uh, an ex-con going by an alter, uh, you know, a made-up name or whatever to come and babysit your child or whatever? So, so I don't know. That kind of reinforces yeah. the, the nature of the film. I don't, I don't but, think any any much any further thought went into this. But the um, so you've got the crazy woman who looks after the doll and no sort of real explanation of how she became into possession of it or anything, which is mm. a bit annoying. The, so the whole first, that first 10 minutes is basically her, the girl saying, and I will say this, she looks like she's a lot older than the character she's playing because mm. her and her boyfriend are talking like they're uh, 17 years old or something, but, yeah. or six or 16 when they clearly look like that could be an apartment that they're paying for themselves. Mm. Um, but so she's going on and on about, uh, oh, yeah, she was a weird, weird lady. She had dolls everywhere. And, you know, there mm. wasn't a child. It was just a doll and, and stuff. And then you actually get to the house. Mm. There aren't dolls everywhere, are there? No, <laughs> it's just, like just the one in the attic. Yeah. You kind of see that one. And, and that's pretty much it. It looks like a, a very normal house. That does give the, the shooting location does give it a distinctive flavor yeah. because you don't often see films shot in actual properties of that kind. No, it's usually so, sort of like a country house or something, isn't it? Yeah, so, or, or, or it's a grand a limited, set. Yeah, a limited sort of location in the, in the middle of a normal-looking street. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's got it's got unique aspects to it, but it's it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, how are you going to score this one, Rich? Well, uh, I... I'm, I'm gonna give. I'm afraid I'm gonna give it quite a low score. I'm only gonna give it a four. Yeah, um, I'm also gonna give this one a four. I felt I felt the score did most of the heavy lifting in this. Mm. It was very much about the the music trying to tell you that dramatic things were, were happening, whatever. Which I thought was okay. I think if if the score hadn't been as strong, it would have been a, a much weaker film. Definitely. But uh, this was directed by Jamie Weston, who uh, we've seen it, watched a couple of his films before. I think he 
he's a, has he done the bad nun as well? Is that one of his? I'm not sure. I know or he's is that done something else. Um, I'm thinking of. I know he did twelve, uh, twelve deaths. I think didn't he? Uh, let me just have a quick look on his credits. Um, oh, Foxtrap was the one he did. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. oh, and Darker Shades of Elise. But Foxtrap was... I can't remember what it came out as over here. But I thought that was quite a stylish film. Again, set in a very... It might even have been exactly the same house. I'm not sure. Mm. But uh, it did seem quite similar. But uh, I was a bit worried at the opening of the film because the cropping of the, the you know, the close-ups yeah. looked like they'd shot it in uh, full screen and then cropped it for widescreen. Right. So I thought that was going to run through the film, but the actual widescreen look of the film does, you know, settle after that opening. And yeah, so shall we have a look at another film from Proportion Productions of a similar Mercy. nature? Is this, is this Clown Doll? Is that? <laughs> this is Clown Doll, which is pretty much exactly the same film uh, with a few changes. I think I think there's a good idea in here that was scuppered. Right at the beginning. Um, and that is... So the premise of this one is we have a young woman who is heavily pregnant. Uh, she's basically surrogating for her sister. No, her, her sister-in-law. Um, for her brother's sort of family. So she, she's carrying their baby. Mm-hmm. Um, her, sis, her sister-in-law is incredibly... Um, trying, trying to ma- micromanage the whole pregnancy. You know, even down to what this woman's eating and things like this. Yeah. So, um, to, to give her some respite, her, her brother and mum um, hire a flat out for a rent, rent a flat, so she's got her own space. And while, while they're sort of decorating that, um, she finds this doll, uh, this sort of like almost full size doll of a clown, which looks like it's been in a fire. Uh, God knows why anyone would think it looked cute and wanted it in their flat. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just the worst of her, of her many bad decisions. Oh, yeah, ex- exactly. So, so this thing, she she actually pays fifty quid to it for it as well. Uh, and she, you know, the woman who runs the um, uh, the antique shop that she gets it from. It's another creepy lady. It's another creepy lady, and she's basically got you know because she says, "How much is it?" He goes, "Oh, come on, you know, make me an offer. Make me an offer." So she doesn't know how much to give. So this woman's like thinking. You know, in her head, she's probably thinking you can have it for a penny. You know, in her head, but she offers fifty quid, and you can see her face just like, hmm. don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Okay, you got a deal. You know, it's it's like, um, you know, try not to sort of jump for joy that she's get, not not only getting rid of this thing, but also gaining sort of fifty quid for it. Um, but it's it's an awful, awful doll. Anyway, people start disappearing around this woman um, in the doll's presence. And the film does a reasonable job of, of sort of playing sort of both sides. You know, is, is the doll actually behind people getting killed? Or is it, in fact, this woman who's having a bit of a psychotic breakdown with all the pressure of having the baby? Um, the fact that she had a psychotic, abusive boyfriend in the past. Um, the, the police are very... Tablets. She's hmm? got the tablets thing going on. Oh, oh yeah. And then, you know, certain medication that she, you know, was supposed to have been on or isn't supposed to be on. Um, and whether or not she's meant to be taking it. I couldn't actually work out if she was meant to be taking the pills or not meant to be taking the pills. Well, that's the funny thing, because it's like, well, why would you have the pills and then cause something that wasn't... I think it was like she was supposed to have blackouts or something with with these... Right. Like it was, she was suffering from a side effect, so they 
they took her off yeah. the pills, so she wasn't supposed to have them. And I guess there's probably re- the pregnancy and whatever would be yeah. other reasons they didn't want to have them. So, so for a time, there's this nice setup with the film. You know, is 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 the doll, this clown doll, actually killing people, or is it, in fact, this woman, you know, either going on a psychopathic rampage or having these blackouts and, and you know, killing people in that state? Which so, like nice. a switchblade romance, kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Which would be nice, except the film starts with a prologue with other characters. Being killed by the fucking doll. Yeah, so, very clearly. So, so, as I was just about to say that when you were talking about that scenario, I was like, but that that wouldn't work with, the, work with the opening because we know how we know it's the doll. We we you know right from the off, yeah. you know. And and I have to say, um, you know that that one that first kill is actually quite brutal. And I, I was I was looking forward to more brutal kills throughout the film. Unfortunately, they don't really come. Um, but it reminded me of an, an another film about sort of uh, redneck hillbillies sort of on, on a rampage. Um, I had a sort of similar setup with a um, an upturned lawnmower. But anyway, um, yeah, oh, there so, was a leper, and the leprechaun used the lawnmower as well in uh, Leprechaun Two. Yeah, um, but but anyway, um, I was looking forward to, to that, but it didn't really appear. But who the fuck would have they stole? You know, and, unless you're like serious goth kind of person um well they say she likes the exorcist and stuff <laughs> yeah no, and she's a, and she's a bit kooky I mean, she mainly makes bad decisions yeah she makes a lot of bad decisions but i mean one, one of the other sort of nice touches is the fact that and, and this is you know um it's one of those moments of foreshadowing when she when she's in the antique shop with her mum her mum buys her a landline phone you know mm. uh, for the house and she said, I don't need a landline, I've got mobile. You know, oh no, you need a landline, dear, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, okay, that, obviously that's going to come into the story somehow. This, you know, either someone's going to get strangled with a phone cord or, or something. Um, but it turns out the, the phone is used as a conduit between her and uh, the doll. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and how does that work in any way? God knows, yeah. <laughs> because they never explain it or provide see, any. See, if if they didn't have that prologue, that would feed into her yes, psychosis. It would absolutely, you know, yes. You know, listening to a voice on a on a dead phone or something like that—that mm. that would have been, you know, kind kind of interesting. But yeah, because they'd sort of, I don't know if they um, intentionally shot that prologue or if somebody said, "No, we need to up the the running time. We need to." Mm-hmm. Had out a bit, you know, possibly because because you know none of the main characters are in there, so it, it, it's not needed yeah. at all, is it? That opening, it's, it's not. So. No, no. Um, but I, overall, I kind of, I, I did like this more than um, the previous one we just talked about, the uh, Mandy. Uh, despite the doll just being, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, they've gone for the complete different approach. I thought in Mandy, you didn't see a lot of the doll, and occasionally you saw it sort of mm. moving and sort of scattering feet or whatever, which I thought worked quite well. Mm. This one, as you say, they've gone for uh, a child or, or, or smaller person, you know, dressed yeah. up with a mask. And it's, and it's so obvious. I mean, there's one point in the film where it looks like she's going to take the mask off. Yeah. Uh, and But it doesn't quite go there. Um, this is... Pretty, they've recycled, you know, the old Roger Corman style. They've recycled what they did before. So we've got another American 
lead actress character, or not actress, but lead character, because the, the, the lead actress is, uh, is, is British, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Sarah Cohen, uh, her name. So, so another, um, American character, mm-hmm. but, you know, there are, they have improved it. They've, they've made her character more interesting. So they've got, they've made her conflicted and, you know, in, there's stuff, interesting stuff going on with her. In the, in Mandy the doll, it was, I've got out of prison and I want to go straight. Oh, okay. We're going to do this job kind of thing. And that's it. This one, she's, you know, she's in a really vulnerable situation. You know, she's, she's trying to run away from her past. She's trying to help out her sister and, and stuff. And, and then, you know, there's all the other stuff going on. But so that was an improvement, I thought. Yeah. And she go, most of, a lot of the action takes place in another, British property. Again, an improvement. This is a nicely converted church building. Exactly. Re- really nice setting. Yeah. Very much a, sort of mu- brings it much more into a Rosemary's Baby kind of element. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought the production design was of a higher standard because of that. Also, a very good use of the space because I don't think they've used any sets, but they managed to make the film look really. Uh, they managed to place the camera in enough, you know, varied locations. So yeah. it works really well. Uh, the whole getting a creepy, getting the creepy calls thing that we were just talking about with the doll apparently ringing her, which is never kind of said explicitly, but it becomes pretty much obvious, like a whole Black Christmas scream kind of thing happening. <clears throat> just doesn't work at all because she's like charmed by it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's I mean, like, I think it, oh, I think okay. Yeah, you know, first she thinks it's her ex-boyfriend, doesn't she? I think. Well, it, it doesn't matter. She soon realises that it's not him, and then yeah. the guy keeps calling back, and it's just like clearly Stop stalker. Mm. And she's like, oh, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what happens with this." Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then they reveal that the, that I don't know what, whose idea this was, but to say that the, uh, the the killer or something is. Uh, a reincarnation of a of a of a killer called Oliver Reed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and she's doing a Google search or whatever for Oliver Reed, mm. and she comes up with this killer, not the famous not actor. The famous <laughs> actor. Yeah. So I don't know why they why they use that name. That's, that's a very strange sort of thing they did there. Um, so overall, I would say an improvement. Some of the kills were good. I like the um, the opening one, as you say, and there's a couple of other decent ones. But the whole thing with the it's it's not very well thought out. But I will say that that prologue, I think it would it's going to score higher. I think I think you're right. I think it would have been that would have painted a different portrait. Would have been much more unexpected. But the fundamental problem here is the doll. You know, you need a better doll. If we look at the poster, uh, as is the case with a lot of these doll films, the doll on the poster is not the doll in the film. Uh, or the or the or the clown in the film because you know this is this is riding the the doll wave but it's also riding the clown wave you know so yes. we've had, we've had loads of clown films there's two more coming up very soon as well clown movies but the doll on the cover looks really quite good uh, uh, but the one in the film just looks pants <laughs> it, looks, it looks like they, you know that someone on the production team's kid made it for for a school project I think yeah and unfortunately it just it doesn't hold water it doesn't doesn't work there's there's disparate elements that are conflicting with each other that the openings the opening sort of leprechaun kind of uh, setting up this character who's uh, 
like a Jason Voorhees or whatever kind of mythical yeah. character. Trying to set that up. Conflicts with the uh, psychological horror story that is then following. And then the the phone and and tied to that the whole phone call thing. So although it's a better it's it's definitely a better film than Mandy the Haunted Doll, and I I, I say it's definitely got strengths, but overall it it does fail. Yeah, I agree. How are you going to score it? I'm going to go for six out of ten on this one. I'm going to go with five out of ten for this one. I would have given it a six if it had a different prologue. You know, if it hadn't scuppered the idea of this sort of, you know, is, is she the killer? Is is the doll the killer? Um, idea by having this other prologue, then um, it would have scored a bit higher. But yeah, a five and a six for Clown Doll. And I would like to say that I thought Sarah Cohen in the lead was very good. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, her performance was very solid. She was very convincing. Uh, so that that was her. She is the film's main strength. It's the last part of the show, and usually I'd hand over to Rich for the washing up, but this week we're taking a change of pace, and I'm going to be discussing a few films which have been released quite recently um, on various formats uh, that I've managed to sort of catch up on. Um, The first of these is a film that comes out on Monday called Boo. Um, This is about a family, a mixed-race family, who on the morning of Halloween receive a prank message saying that they've been booed. And it's kind of one of these things where you've got to sort of forward it on. So, you know, it's like a chain letter kind of right. thing. Um, and you're supposed to forward it on, otherwise bad things are going to happen to you. So, unfortunately, um, the father of this family is um, deeply religious and hates the idea of Halloween, so he just burns the, this letter. Uh, his young son, Caleb, on the other hand, has been hearing about this thing all week at school. You know, people telling him all about all these urban legends and things. So he is totally freaked out by by this thing. And the fact that his dad's just burned it, he's like, going, oh, great, you just sort of opened the door to hell to our house. Um, this is a, a pretty decent film. It, and it is mainly the... It, it's it's the, the, the... The family itself, the family dynamic, is completely shattered already at the beginning of the film you know um these are sort of four very isolated people uh the father is deeply religious as i said in, you know keeps spouting scripture and the lord's prayer and everything um his wife um is uh suffering from depression she's on lots and lots of antidepressants goes out drinking every night um you know um just totally getting drunk uh their daughter Morgan, who's a teenager, um, has sort of done some sort of self-harm in the past and is sort of very rebellious. So, you know, they're they're all pulling in different directions and then stuff starts to happen in the house and sort of, you know, they're each sort of confronted by things they've done in the past, sort of dark secrets and things like that. It works very well for the most part. Um, I, I just think that the ending itself, the very ending, isn't Quite, it comes out of left field a little bit. It's a bit like the ending of Insidious in, in that way. Um, but there was a nice sort of, um, sort of refreshing take on, you know, you know when characters come across spooky stuff, yeah, and, and the way they react to it, or you know, it's like they'll just stand there or they'll go closer to it and say, you know, if if someone's like covered in a sheet, 
in in the room, you know, they come really slowly up to it and then slowly pull the sheet off, you know. Yeah. Well, we've um, talked we've talked about very uh, such yeah, exactly. things earlier with these doll movies, haven't we? Yeah. There's there's two instances in this film which I thought were absolutely brilliant because when um, the mother uh, Elise comes out of the bar and she looks across the street and there's a pram, it, you know, considering it's like midnight, there is a pram just sat in the middle of the road, you know. And she takes one look at it and just runs away as fast as she can. <laughs> you know, obviously it's triggered something in her memory. But even so, I thought, yeah, that, that's, that's how I'd react to it. You know, seeing a pram abandoned in the middle of the street. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. And later on, Morgan um, opens the door in her room. She finds like this sort of, sort of doppelganger sort of floating in midair. And she just goes, what the fuck? And just slams the door shut and runs away. And I thought... That's quite refreshing. Unfortunately, it's not consistent um, done throughout the film. You know, um, there are other occasions when it's like, oh, there's somebody in a spooky sheet. I'll go and slowly pull it off. But I thought in those particular occasions, I thought, yeah, you got it spot on. Um, yeah, special effects wise, I think this works really well. Some good sort of little moments. Um, yeah, it's uh, not. Co- it's coming out on streaming media, so you know, can download it or you know, buy it or rent it from the usual people. Um, I won't say who they are, but you know who they are. And that comes out uh, on Monday. So another one, uh, which is already out, um, is a film called Shed of the Dead. Uh, This is directed by someone we've uh, encountered a couple of times called um, Drew Cullingham. Uh, I actually met him. I've I've interviewed him as well uh, in the past. Um, He's a quite interesting director. Uh, in this one, we have a 30-something reclusive guy called Trevor, who all he wants to do is spend his time in his shed, on his allotment, painting his little figurines for his war games that he does. Um, unfortunately, the people who also have allotments around him hate him because he doesn't do any work in this garden. So, you know, he's just interested in the shed part, not not the garden part, and they're all trying to evict him. So while all this is going on, and the fact that his, his, um, his very acerbic wife is, um, you know, absolutely hates him, um, the zombie apocalypse happens in very much the same sort of way in um, Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of happens quite, you know, slowly and insidiously, and he doesn't notice, yeah, to begin with, you know, even though people are running past him and things like this. It takes him a while before um, he uh, and the sort of people around him even realise what's going on. There, there is some nice moments where, like, he's out in the garden in, in his allotment. We, we can hear the um, the radio playing, you know, so, so we're getting updated on what's going on because he's totally oblivious to it. The cast is pretty good in this. It's, um, we've got the likes of Emily Booth, um, Kane Hodder. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, who played uh, Jason at one point. Um, Bill Mosley's in there as well. And, and it also gets um, a voiceover from Brian Blessed. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Where's this film from? It's it's English. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's an English film. Um, uh, yeah, it's, that's a separate good cast. I love a bit of Brian Blessed and Brian Blessed and Kane Hodder together in the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's interesting because Kane Hodder he plays a, a Canadian. Um, he's one of the other allotment owners. Um, oh right. <laughs> And, so, and and he's sort of dressed up all in tweed and everything, and you know he's 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 really good in it. Um, yeah, I I really like this. The humour level is sort of more towards sort of Viz comics. Uh, oh, oh, I should mention Michael Berryman's in this as well. 
Ah, Lemonade. Yeah. Okay, and pull out for stunt casting. Exactly, yeah. Um, he, he's pretty good. The, the humour in it is very much sort of his, his comic level. You know, um, the his, the guy's wife and her best friend have a sort of sideline, and they, they run this sort of hairdressers, and have a sideline in doing a bit of um, sort of prostitution on the side. Um, and Michael Berryman plays one of sort of her friend's customers, and he, he gets killed off, and she's sort of lamenting the fact that he still had a butt plug shoved in him when he, when he went in the hospital when he was in the ambulance. You know, it's, sort of, it's that sort of level, basically. Uh-huh. Emily so, Emily Booth's in it. Did you? Mm, you, yes, might, exactly. you probably mentioned her, and uh, she did uh, what was the Evil Aliens and stuff yeah. like that. She's done quite. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen her in anything for quite a while, actually. But uh, that's a great cast. It is a great cast. It is it is very good. Um, you know, it's, it's very well made. The, the only thing to sort of notice is at times the the production, you know, its limits unnoticeable, especially when you know they, they can't get more than a crowd of about five zombies at any one time, um, which sort of hurts things a bit. But yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did enjoy it. So good little film. So Drew Cullingham is he a British? He is a British uh, director, yeah. Um, but has he worked most? Has he worked in the states? And stuff? No, not really. He's, oh, he does pretty much. He did a film called Umbridge. That's when I first heard of him. Uh, me and Will went to um, the Fright Fest All Nighter in London, mm. and they showed Umbridge as the first film, and it hadn't hadn't been color corrected at the time, but it had um, what's his name? The guy who played Pinhead in um, Hellraiser. Oh, Doug Bradley. Yeah, he was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the film was quite comical, not 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 on purpose, unfortunately, um, at times. And uh, you know, early early scenes dragged, but it, it picked up towards the end. But he he did another film. Um, what's it called? Oh, Umbridge, the first vampire. Yeah. Or a vampire's tale. Yeah. What? Did the one called the Devil's Contract or something like that? Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, the Devil's Bargain. That's it, the Devil's Bargain, which I really liked. It was set during the seventies. And it's kind of sort of a, um, a, a take on the whole Adam and Eve thing in reverse kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, which you know is literally a three-hander, and, but it was really really interesting. Uh, so yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. Um, this is probably his most accomplished film to date um, in terms of production values and, and script and everything. I think, um, but yeah, keep keep an eye out for Shed of the Dead. It works really well in in tandem with um, Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, you know the way it approaches the um, the whole apocalypse thing, and you know the fact that they're not they're totally oblivious to it at the beginning, and there's a very funny scene. There's a guy who's doing like a video blog, and he's sort of telling everyone that um, oh, oh don't worry, you know here's how to sort of stay alive in the zombie apocalypse, and like two seconds later he's mauled to death. You know, <laughs> it's uh, really well done. So yeah, that's um, that one. Now it was a film I was very interested in on um, uh, Amazon Prime. I caught a video for this a while ago, uh, the trailer, uh, called Kasari. Um, this how, is do I, how do we spell that? K-E-S-A-R-I. It stands for... Oh, yes. Saffron. Apparently it means saffron. And this is based on a true story of the 36th Sikh Regiment, mm-hmm. who was stationed at a small fort on the border with Afghanistan during um, this, the British rule of India. And this small regiment of 21 soldiers basically held off an army of 10,000 
sort of got from the neighbouring country, um, Afghans, um, to sort of basically buy time for the other forts to to get reinforcements. So so basically, that you know, they, they knew that they were going to be fighting to the death. It is a big, big summer blockbuster-style film. It is, you know, very similar in ways to uh, Michael Bay's Thirteen Hours. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that? Um, I haven't seen it, but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. But this is, uh, you know, th- this film is designed to, you know, for, for like the, you know, the native audience to, for their, you know, to get them fist pumping and heart pounding. You know, there are scenes where so the main character is is more or less talking direct to the audience in that sort of very much sort of this is Sparta kind kind of way. Um, it, it is very very good. You know, the actions is really accomplished. Um, there is, you know, the usual sort of slow mo sort of action shots. If, you, if, you, if you've seen the trailer, there's the brilliant bit where there's people charging at him and he's got his flaming sword and he sort of lifts somebody up as he, as he impales them. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And, and, you know, but based on a true incident, the, the, um, the siege of this particular fort was, was actually well documented. Uh, because the funny thing is, you know, it, it um, there was two forts either side of them. The whole point of their fort was to relay messages between the other two forts. You know, um, so so they could see everything that was actually going on during this battle. They just couldn't get anyone to help them. So you know, it's a well documented um, sort of heroic battle, as, as it were. As a side note, I think it is really good that the you know films like this, which did have modest theatrical releases targeted at their um, Core Indian audiences are able to, you know, are being picked up by, you know, Netflix, you know, they, they oh, yeah. buy a whole load and, uh, and Amazon do a whole load because they're trying to serve the Indian audiences as well. And, you know, you, we get to make these discoveries, uh, through Absolutely. those. I mean, you know, the, the previous episode we talked about two Asian films, you know, um, Maria and Fury, um, which you know, I hope people have, have gone out and watched. They're there on Netflix. You know, why why not? You know, um, okay. Some people have an issue with subtitles. I understand that. But you know, if you're an action fan, you're looking for something that can sort of stand up to you know the likes of sort of John Wick or something. Then this is what you need. You know, especially something like The Night Comes for Us, which is a ridiculously violent film. But um, you know, this this is great. This is real sort of sort of um, so heart pumping stuff all the way through. I really, really enjoyed it. There's two sort of news, musical numbers um, in there. N- nothing too only, arduous. Only two. That's surprising because it's, it's, it's like it's a two and a half hour film. It is a two and a half hour film, but it does quite zip. You know, it does zip by quite well. Mm. Um, there's, there's a fu- there's a couple of funny scenes um, to do with language because so early on, you know, so the main character um, who's a sergeant. Um, Except they never use the word sergeant, and you find out why. Because so sergeant in Indian um, means something completely different. It's almost like a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why, why, why do they call that guy sergeant? <laughs> you know. And then um, there's, a, there's a scene where he has a sort of argument with this um, British British officer who's a complete asshole. And he call, you know, he says he calls him fucker or something. And he's going, fuck? What? Why? Why did he say? You know. Because apparently that means something like someone who's close to God or something like that, and it's only when he he finds out one of his uh, his new men um, speaks English 
he goes, asks him, he goes, uh, no, that means fornicator, sir. It's like, you know, he's, he's on the rooftop screaming his head off. Oh, what the <coughs> fuck? Probably that. It's, it's quite funny. So, yeah. Um, um, the lead actor in that is, uh, he's one of the most successful Bollywood actors, uh, Akshay Kumar. He's uh, he's done a fair amount of uh, well he does films of varying quality but he's done uh, quite a few Hollywood ripoff films. Uh, one of right. the most recent, which I think is also on Prime, uh, which I keep meaning to check out, is called Brothers, and it's a remake of Warriors, the Tom Hardy film. All oh, right. Yeah. So he's he's and there's another one called Baby that I really want to see. Uh, but there's a drama called Airlift, which I think is yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. That was really good, and. Uh, yeah, and Padman is another one of his films, which I think is on Netflix, and that was very that got very good reviews. Uh, more of a, that's like a drama, but yeah, he, he's very good. He was in Chandy Chub to China with oh, yeah. uh, Gordon Liu and I think Conan Stevens. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been around for hundreds of years, but uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, not literally, obviously. But yeah, so in, in this one, he sports the most luxurious beard I've ever seen. Basically, it's <laughs> a phenomenal beard. Yeah, you, I've never seen him with a beard before, so. Uh, that, yeah. But he he's he's great in it, and as I say, you know, there's a couple of scenes where, uh, like, the scene where he sort of kneels down and stabs his sword into the ground, and then sort of lifts his head up, and he just happens to be looking directly down the camera lens as he delivers this sort of bit of dialogue, you know, and you can imagine sort of the people in the audience just going, yes, you know, so does he sort of defiantly say something, you know, it's it's, it's just great. I, I really liked it. Um, okay, so changing tack completely. Next one is. Uh, Once upon a time in London. Oh, you so, I, I have seen this one. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, it's a period sort of crime drama set between the beginning of Second World War through to the early sixties or the early, sort of late fifties. Um, I'm interested what you think about this because I know you shy away from the British gangster sort of genre usually. Yeah. Uh, this I, I this is kind of a different like, approach, isn't it? It is a bit of a different approach because you know it's taking you through sort of you know two or three decades of um, thing, and and it's it's chiefly about two characters. One's called Billy Hill, uh, played by Leo Gregory, and the other is Jack Comer, played by Terry Stone, who, who does a lot of these films. Um, and basically, you know, Billy Hill, he's this sort of happy-go-lucky kind of guy who. You know, doing these sort of small-time jobs and gets nicked for one and ends up in prison, and then you know, reading the paper about these these phenomenal bank robberies and things that um, Jack Comer's behind, he actually writes him a letter, <laughs> you know, sort of saying, "Can I come work for you, please, Mister Comer, when I get out of prison?" And then you know, he's so taken by it that he does sort of hire him on. Um, but you know, there's a lot going on before that and a lot going on after it, and it, but mostly it's about their sort of friendship and which turns into a rivalry. Um, and you know they become bitter enemies for a bit, and then kind of sort of make you know bury the hatchet towards the end. Um, the period detail is really good. You know the sort of the suits and the cars and things like that. Uh, the music, um, you know, because one of them runs a nightclub. It, it's all really great. But it's longer than usual as well. It's nearly two hours long. It is, and but a lot of it, you know, there are a few sort of montages and things as well. So sort of, during the passing of time, but a lot of it is a case of one gut one. One gang does something nasty to the other gang, so the other gang goes and retaliates and does something nasty to them, and then the other gang comes back and does something nasty to them, and it's just this sort of constant sort of toing and froing between the two. So you know, one 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 sort of gang will sort of get the upper hand for a while, and then the other 
come in and sort of get the upper hand and it becomes a bit repetitive after a while you know it's, it's just like well and then the case of like you know this sort of rivalry sort of starts up between Billy and uh, Jack um, and then it sort of follows the same sort of path it's, 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 it is interesting but you know especially over two hours it does become quite repetitive I was just looking up Leo Gregory I've seen him in a few things uh, over, over time he's, he's done quite a lot of uh, gangster roles and stuff I think but he was also in you've told me about it before Northmen a Viking saga yeah was he in that yeah shit I was quite surprised that so yeah, yeah he played a character called Jorund in it. I don't know whether it was a big role or a small role but uh, yeah and he's also in Avengemen which uh, is uh, just yes, out, is. out pretty much out now I think yeah, I don't want to talk about Avengemen yet no no no, no <laughs> we're going to cover we're, we're covering Avengemen in another episode definitely going to be covering yes he was in but yeah, and you were saying Terry Stone does a lot of these films. He absolutely Terry does. Stone, funny enough, Terry Stone, I, I, I came across him because he was in Ten Dead Men. Um, oh, the film with that um, Ross Boyesk started mm-hmm. with. Um, One and he, he had a small role in that. He was, you know, he was really good in it, you know, but he was in like two scenes, basically. Um, but yeah, he, he did sort of stand out in that film. Yeah, he did that the same year as. Uh, oh, sorry, he did that the year after he was in Rise of the Foot Soldier, which was the first time he played the uh, Tony Tucker character, which he's most, you know, played the most. I think he's uh, he's crossed over into various franchises. So he did Rise of the Foot Soldier and uh, Bonded by Blood, uh, uh, and uh, I think he, I'm not sure if he's turned up in anything else. But I, I like to think of his character as like the him as like the Wolverine of the British gangster movie because he just turns up. It might be like a cameo or like yeah. a leading role or something, but he's always playing the same character uh, at different ages. So he might be playing like a lot younger, but he's but he still looks the same. He's like older <laughs> than, well, than right, he was, yeah. but, which is a you know kind of a, a Wolverine kind of thing to do. So <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, you know I, I enjoy watching these watching these guys uh, and their movies. So Definitely, I do have a soft spot for them, and this looks Pretty like crazy. them sort of aiming Pretty a bit higher. Oh yeah. Love it, love Craig Ferguson. <laughs> him and Terry, him and Terry uh, Stone are actually doing the Rise of the Foot Soldier four uh, at the moment. Uh, so the um, the third one was a big hit, and the next one's there's a teaser poster. It's big uh, Rise of the Foot Soldier Spanish Heist. Right. I think it was originally called Rise of the Foot Soldier Marbella, hmm. and I think this is possibly the American poster or whatever. But the uh, I've just I've just looked it up now and, and seen I it. Did now, enjoy, so. I did enjoy the last one. It was it was good fun. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, anything else you've seen, Mike? Yeah, so, so there's two others I'm going to talk about. Um, the first one is um, A Vigilante. Um, we mentioned this the other week when, when it came out. Um, so, this stars Oliver, Olivia Wilde as a young woman who is... Um, she's kind of escaped her abusive husband um, and is now helping others to escape from theirs or, or dealing out a bit of justice. She, she's She's toughened herself up, you know. She's taught, basically, taught herself martial arts and does a lot of exercising and stuff. And you know, it's a really cool bit where she goes goes into this bar where you know certain characters have been known to um, attack women, you know, in the car park. So she goes in, lets people see her, you know, has a drink, makes sure she wipes down her glass so, so there's no fingerprints on her glass. And then leaves, and of course three guys come out after her, and she beats the shit out of them, you know, um, 
and sort of leaves them gasping for breath and just says, don't do this again, sort of thing. So, yeah, that, that, that's the sort of thing she, she does. She helps out a um, person at the beginning. Um, it was a scene that you see in the trailer where she sort of, sort of punches somebody in the throat. Um, it's not it's not an action film at all. You know, there are these sort of little, little moments of violence, but this is... It's a portrait of a woman who's been brutalised, you know, and kind of... You know, Although she has survived to a certain extent, she hasn't really got over what happened to her, um, and and you get the full story later on, and it's 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 bleak, you know, as well as some of the other stories because she goes to these sort of help groups and things, and and you hear these other stories of women um, and what they've had to suffer. It's it's you know it is a sort of pretty bleak and brutal film overall. Uh, men do not come out well in this film at all. <laughs> But it is very compelling, very good, and I can see why uh, Olivia Wilde has had the um, the acclaim she's had for this. Yeah, I'm very interested to to see it. It's kind of a very different approach to something like Peppermint. Yes, it is. It is it's very down to earth, very um, understated. You know, it, it's dealing with people who are sort of on the periphery of society, who you know probably don't have too many opportunities to. To, to you know, they think this is the this is this is what it's meant to be. I think this would possibly appeal. I mean, they're they're kind of selling it a bit more like a, a death wishy kind of hmm. action movie, but um, I think it's probably more like Nicole Kidman's Destroyer. Yeah, probably. Which was itself, you know, quite a bleak portrait uh, hmm. film, rather than not so much about the action as about the character. Yes, it's it's very much about about. The woman herself rather than you know the, the, her deeds as, as, as they are but um, yeah I mean the second half of the film changes tact um, when you realize that actually she's not been on the run from her husband she's actually been trying to track him down after all you know it's sort of following him around sort of thing it's finding out where he is um, and that, that comes to a head in the sort of second half of the film very good um, you know I wasn't sure at first with it with the tone but um, yeah, really got into it. A uh, totally different kind of film, again, is Furious. Uh, this is a film from Russia. Uh, it's on DVD at the moment, from 2017. Um, this is based on a real folk hero from Russia, um, a guy called Evpati Kolovrat, who was a, a knight, a sort of medieval knight, who... When he found out that his home city had been under siege and ravaged, uh, you know, basically wrecked to the ground, he put together a sort of ragtag army and went after the um, sort of the Mongol horde who were responsible, led by um, Borat Khan, I think his name is. Um, this is very good indeed. You know, it, it's it it plays with the truth, obviously. Um, you know, makes it more mythical. Um, and also gives um, the main character this interesting trait where every night he wakes up, or you know, he has these bad dreams about when he was attacked when he was like 13, um, and every, every morning he wakes up with amnesia. All he, he thinks he's still 13 years old when he wakes up, and he, you know, people have to sort of tell him, no, you know, you're actually the foreman of the army, you help us, or you know, train all the knights and everything like this. And it sort of takes him a few minutes to sort of his, his brain to sort of catch up. Um, so yeah, it's sort of fifty, almost like fifty first dates in that way. 
But yeah, the action's really good. But why is that device there, do you think? I don't know. I think it's just to give the guy a bit of something interesting to do, because he is a bit of a bland character. Uh You know, know, good fighter and everything, but he's very sort of sullen and, you know, he doesn't sort of speak much. But um, the person, the, the best character in the film is is Barak Khan, um, you know, the, the leader of the Mongols. Uh, doesn't speak much, but his eyes just say everything he needs to. You know, he, he's just absolutely brilliant and, you know, this sort of malevolent force throughout the film. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it, re- it really helps anchor sort of, you know, the, the, the enemy, as it were, in your mind. But yeah, no, re- really, really enjoyable film. Uh, definitely worth catching. You can, you can pick it up for five quid in Asda or somewhere. Have you got any others you want to mention? Uh, I think that's it for now. Um... Can I just give a go completely off tack mm-hmm. uh, and mention Alien Three? Oh, the the audio book, the um, based on yeah. the script. So the un the unfilmed script. Yeah, so it's not DTV, it's D the uh, uh, direct to audio. So it's a, an audio drama, audio film uh, made by. Uh, Dirk Mags, who's done a lot of these sort of things in the past, and Audible, uh, the Amazon company. So what they've done is they've dusted off William Gibson's old script for Alien 3, which was obviously not used because they went with a, in another direction. And they've made an alternate sequel to Aliens, which takes the characters of uh, I think it's Hicks, uh, played by Michael Bean, and Bishop, uh, by, uh, played by Lars Henriksen, uh, as well as uh, other characters such as Ripley. Uh, into a completely different story. Uh, and what's interesting is that they've managed to get both those actors back. Uh, obviously, they can't get Sigourney Weaver. But uh, the great thing is, instead of casting somebody else as... Uh, well, they have got somebody else cast as Ripley, but she is not the main character in the story. Hicks and Bishop become the main characters, which is great, because you didn't actually... You, they left an impression in Aliens, but you didn't actually spend a huge oh, amount of time... Yeah. That was the worst thing they did with Alien Three was kill off um, kill off Hicks and reduce uh, Bishop to just like you know a couple of scenes. Yeah. So the, that that's kind of that like a course correction kind of thing happening here. It's like what if what if we'd got a, that film with um, you know Hicks you know developing his character and stuff, which is great because he's it's um it's a very solidly you know really well made uh, production as I would expect. Uh, it's about two hours long. The, the the first 15 minutes is a recap on Aliens and Alien. So there's a lot of scenes that are remade. But once this and they're done, they're done very well. You know, the get away from her, you bitch and all that kind of stuff's in there. Uh, but once they get to the story, I think they've adapted the screenplay to work in an audio format very well. Uh, a lot of the voiceover is Bishop narrating the story, which I think works quite nicely. Uh, and yeah, I think it's it's just it's just something that's really really if you if you're interested in an alien and stuff, you're never going to get an well I say you're never going to get an alien DTV movie, but who knows you know <laughs> they might do. Um, they did it with Highlander, didn't they? They did a Highlander uh, animated animated yeah. movie and stuff. But uh, if, if if Alien hadn't been Fox, if if if, if Aliens had been Universal or Warner Brothers. I think that it would have ended up on DTV <laughs> after a while. I think we wouldn't have got so far with it, with you know, Prometheus and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think if... I mean, I haven't seen 
Prometheus or Alien uh, Covenant because mm-hmm. I'm sort of a bit scared of watching them. I'm a bit nervous about it because I, I don't think because I haven't heard they're not that good. So the the last one I watched was uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem, I think. All right. And obviously those films didn't turn out particularly well. So this is really it's a, it's a hard thing with audio because a lot of the a lot of what's great about Alien is the um, the look of the alien, yeah. uh, you know, the xenomorph and how we see it. And, and in, in this case, obviously, you don't see it at all. Um, the This is not the first audio production that's been done uh, featuring uh, the alien. Uh, Dirk Max has done two previously. The first one I bought, uh, but I thought the problem with that was, I think it's called Out of the Shadows. The problem was it was too long. It was like a, a t- it's a typical alien story, you know, a bunch of people, they encounter the aliens, they've got to try and survive. And it was stretched over six hours, which I thought was far too long. Uh, so this one, I was really glad to, that they that they've not tried to elaborate too much, that they kept it, you know, short and sweet, yeah, uh, to make it uh, as edita- you know, as fast paced and entertaining as possible. So uh, that's a, a complete side note, but um, very well worth checking out. And on that note, we're going to end this episode. Uh, so thanks, Rich, for that. Um, yeah, just to say on, on, on that particular thing, that is available on Audible Books, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you, and, and if you don't have an account with Audible already, if this is your first one, I believe you get the first one free, don't you? Yeah, so you can do It's like a lot of these, you know, stuff, whether it's yeah. Shudder or, or uh, yeah. you know, uh, Sky or whatever. If there's something on you want to see and you haven't taken a tr- trial already, you know, now's the yeah. time. Absolutely. Okay, and on that note, we're going to end. Uh, thanks for Rich. Um, yeah, so Dolls movies, we're not particularly keen on. Although there are a couple coming out uh, that may sort of pique our interest. Um, tune in for the next episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments, and tune in again next time. <laughs>